You see, we're on a mission from God. podcast. I'm your host, Amanda the Q, and today I have a very special guest. This is my longtime friend, and uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin introducing her because there are so many things I could say about her, but this is... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the uh, Yasmin Turk. Now, I make it a policy not to talk to famous people on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you're not famous, but but a lot of people in our community know you because you're just you're you're one of those uh, you're one of those people that's well networked, right? <laughs> you know a lot of people, and the reason why you know a lot of people is because you do a lot of cool things. So, welcome, Yasmin. Thank you. Are you ready to podcast? Long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm ready. <laughs> well, you know, this is the fourth episode, so I don't know how long you could have been listening. <laughs> I've listened to you in many formats, so... It's true. Yeah. It's true. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. You, you really have listened to me a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, so I start my podcast with icebreakers. Oh, you know how I feel about icebreakers. I'm the one person that loved them. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast because I was like, of all the people who will appreciate these icebreakers, because every time I say to my guests, I have icebreakers, they like get super freaked out. <laughs> and I was like, uh, for me, there's like a little flutter inside that you can't even <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's icebreak. <laughs> well, the reason why you have to do it is... I don't know. For some reason, people get really nervous when you start recording them, whether it's audio or video. And if you just start like shooting the shit, right? Like having these icebreaker questions about things that are really easy, like that everybody knows and is comfortable with, then that just loosens them up. But it's also kind of fun because <laughs> are you loose? Crack the neck. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also kind of fun because you the stuff that we talk about is is usually pretty interesting fodder. So. Question number one for you is, what is the last thing that you watched on TV? Oh, do I even have to admit it? Like watching ridiculous things on television is this thing that I should be more ashamed about than I actually am. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so a little background, I didn't have a TV for 14 years. Well, I, I got a TV, but you know, we didn't have network television. So uh -huh. I still had to like plan out what I watched. So it wasn't still so crazy, but my dad moved in with us a couple of months ago and he liked the TV. So I got YouTube TV. And so I just watch things that are on that I otherwise would not have watched. Um, and today, oh, today I know what it was. I actually watched Golden Girls today. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's like comfort food. It's Golden so Girls. good. That yeah. that show has I because I we have Hulu and it's all, all of them are on Hulu and so I set about like watching them all from scratch in 2020 because I needed comfort and that show has has held up remarkably well like it's yeah, a good they were show super progressive at the time yeah and just it's still really funny like a lot of older shows the humor is dated they're yeah. very funny yeah and actually it's funny because I was not allowed to watch Golden Girls as a kid Why? I did. 
that my dad heard my dad heard it over like his office was next to my tv watching room Uh and he heard one of the conversations which was very racy for you know (laughs) like 10 year old Yasmin, and he like forbade me from watching golden girls um i remember he's like what are you watching you know no you cannot I also was not allowed to watch like Love Boat or something like that. Yeah, either, yeah. But oh, me either. He didn't watch a lot of TV, but if he ever walked in the room and heard something he did not like, it was forbidden. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I that is a good choice, and and I feel like I should now ask you which of the Golden Girls you identify with. Oh, one hundred percent Dorothy. I'm so Dorothy. Yeah. 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 A little bit, you know, pragmatic, and she's just going to say it sometimes without the appropriate filter, which <laughs> I also have some familiarity with. Um, <laughs> but she's not as filterless as her mother. That's true. I, I am not as filterless as her mother at right. all. Like, right. I am not Sophia territory. Right. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I could confidently see myself in the role of Dorothy. Yeah, I, I think the thing I like about Dorothy, I think the reason why I find her so compelling as a character is because she, she spends like at least, you know, 45 to 60% of the time on that show just annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I relate to this so much. It's just like half the time I'm walking around like with a Dorothy look on my face like, oh. And I feel like I have that Dorothy annoyedness in me, but I feel like I've worked very hard to not let that be my outward, you know, or even inward, you know, state. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely know that deep down within there is the, you know, the hidden Dorothy yeah. annoyedness. Yeah. Yep. She's an icon. Okay. Icebreaker question number two. What is the last book that you read? Uh, well, I started a book club series that uh, helps me to read. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it's really hard to like prioritize reading that's non-academic, non-related uh-huh. kind of stuff. And so oddly enough, the last book we read was Self-Compassion by Dr. Krista Neff. Hmm. It's a little bit older, but it was really good because it had a lot of practical activities in it. And it has this, you know, this like meditation in it that I really enjoyed. So that was the last book I read. Next one on tap is Cassandra Speaks, When Women Tell Stories, It Changes the World. So oh, that's that sounds good. Sounds exciting. Yeah. One thing that I feel that my listeners should know about you is that you are the type of person that makes your whole family read <laughs> self-help books together. <laughs> like That's I think- true. <laughs> Actually, and you know, it's funny because that's the last thing I read was with my family. Last night, we had family night. We're reading Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Oh. And yeah. so I, we usually have a read aloud where everybody takes a turn reading. Uh-huh. But we've discovered with this book, I have to read me or Yazin and edit along the way. <laughs> There's a lot of content that is not uh, family time appropriate. Oh, yes, because you have little, little children yeah. or young all children. Yeah, all the ages. So um, is it a good book, though? Oh, it's so good. And it's very interesting just because, you know, it talks about race a lot. Mm-hmm. And it talks about race in the African context a lot. Yeah. And in the context of being mixed. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So I feel like it's very relevant to our family in a way that it probably wouldn't be to other families. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it started a lot of really good conversations. In our yeah. Okay. So then the last icebreaker question is, what did you have for breakfast? 
Uh, <laughs> what did I have for breakfast? I had, so Fiesta, I don't know if you've been to Fiesta before, but I've been there, they but... have this bread called pan francis, uh-huh. uh, like French bread, but it's like a smaller version. And it is, I, I mean, I don't know what clouds taste like, but I assume <laughs> it is similar to this texture. It is just, it, it's like clouds with butter. It's so good. And so I had some of that with something on it. I don't remember, but... Is it, is it in their bakery section? It's in their bakery section. They used to have it like in a big container and you just like reach in with tongs and pull it all out. Oh. But now they make you buy like half a dozen at a time. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like a lot because um, they're pretty big. So yeah. um, you have to buy six loaves at a time, but it's just so good. So delightful. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds delicious. Um, bread is good. Bad, <laughs> but good. Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So now the icebreakers are done and you're all loosened up. We can talk about whatever we want. And there are a whole bunch of things that we could be discussing here. So I'm going to let you talk to me a little bit about what you, you, first of all, what you want the world to know. Let me preface this by letting people know Yasmin is uh, Arab American or Palestinian American, mother of three. Her husband is is an immigrant from Senegal. She works at uh, Safe Alliance, which is an organization that educates and provides services and support for people who are in crisis, who are you know going through domestic violence uh, situations. And she is an activist, and she's a Muslim leader. And she's, what else are you? She's, she's just really a little karaoke singer. Am I right? She's a karaoke singer. She's very (laughs) passionate about vision boarding and uh, desserts. Is that good? To be specific, but yes, Yes. all desserts are welcome. Okay. So is this, was this a good, was this a proper introduction? I feel like that very interesting hearing about myself and that (laughs) described to me. All right, let's kick it off because I know the easiest, probably the easiest entry point into conversation with you is to talk about your family because your family's awesome. And I love them. I know, I know, I know. I got lucky. (laughs) In what way? I got lucky that I have a family of people that I like. Yeah. Yeah. It would have made this quarantine very different otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) So who's in your family? Tell me about them. So I have kids that are in elementary, middle school, and high school. Mm-hmm. So six, going to be seven in two weeks. Can't believe wow. it. My last wow. baby. And then 13 and 18. Okay. Senior in high school. And then actually, and then my husband. <laughs> and then my dad actually moved in with us about yeah. three months ago to get some medical care. And then now he's decided to make it permanent. So we now have a multi-generational home, which is so exciting for me. It's something that my husband and I always talked about and it just happened and worked out and here we are. It can go either way, right? Like I, it's, it's not easy always to have your parents move in with you, Right. but so like, I'm just curious to know what was the adjustment like? I mean, was there an adjustment period or did you guys just, you all took to it? It just clicked. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think we kind of took to like, everybody jumped in right away, but I think it's just an adjustment having a new person in the house. And like, um, you know, your parents are older than you, but now they're in a state where they're in a different, you know, they're in a different place in their life. Uh And so like in the beginning, I would always be worried, you know? And so Papa and I would take turns sleeping downstairs, uh, to be close to my dad in case he needed anything or anything like that at night. And 
you know, it was like a return to the stage of having younger children where it's like, you're mm -hmm. always on alert. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Are you okay? So then the adjustment has been to be like, okay, we can sleep in our own bed now. Right. <laughs> he, he is fine. He doesn't need us checking up on him every time he goes to the bathroom. Yes. Um, and, and he would prefer that we do not. <laughs> you know, so just getting comfortable from maybe being a little overvigilant about trying to make it a good adjustment for him to just letting it happen naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been really good. And I think having a partner who has the same kind of values around the way that you welcome your elders is, I mean, I can't emphasize that enough because this could have been really disastrous. Yeah. If I invited my parent to live with us and my husband was not on board, but right. I'm so grateful that it's something that we talked about before marriage, that if his parents ever wanted to live with us or my parents ever wanted to live with us, that we would welcome that with open arms. And we feel like that is something that would be beneficial to our children as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, my dad, it happens to be very much like my husband, as we've discovered over these past few months, really and their mannerisms, very similar. So he is, uh, he's pretty chill and easygoing. And, um, so making sure that I'm intentional about getting the kids involved in helping and things like that has taken a little work. The, the difficult part of the adjustment, honestly, is that we do only have the one television. So <laughs> the six-year-old and my dad <laughs> watch very different things. Um, <laughs> and so figuring out that schedule and managing that probably been the, the most constant challenge for me, which isn't yeah. bad considering all things. No, absolutely. That's like best case <laughs> scenario. So I feel like, um, I feel like that's just a, an interesting thing. We've talked you know, in our family, we've talked about being middle-aged, you have this weird dynamic where you become a caretaker for, for people on, like your book ended by people that you're trying mm -hmm. to take care of. And watching your parents, like you said, be in a very different place mentally and emotionally and psychologically than when you were a kid, you have to kind of redefine your relationship with them and what it's like to be in relationship with yeah. them. And so I feel like that's a maybe we, like we do this with everybody. I think we like, when we form a relationship with somebody, we like to have that as that's who you are. Mm -hmm. Like we define it and we keep people in a box. And then when they change, we're like, oh, you've changed. Right. Yeah. And then of course people change. So, but, but I think there's this, just this like added weirdness when it's your parent or your kid. Cause you and I both have kids that are just about to graduate from high school and <laughs> like, <own> people. <laughs> my God, isn't it crazy? Like I look at my kids they're almost, they're, a, they're like adults. And I still treat them like kids most of the time. Like I find myself treating them like kids or I don't know, it's just, it's just a habit. Like I'll ask, like I ask my kids if they've eaten almost every day. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> and, and they look at me like I'm an idiot. Like you don't need to remind me to eat. Yeah. I'm, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that things are settled in. So is it, this is a permanent thing? Is he staying? It's permanent. Yeah. He plans to maybe do some visiting of other people as well, but this is home. And, um, and actually it's so interesting because, you know, I left home at 16, mm -hmm. so it has been quite some time, huh. um, since we have lived together, but it's working out really good. And also I feel lucky to give the kids that example. You know, yeah. I told the kids like, you want a partner that's going to be on board and treat your parents 
the way that Papa treats your parents, you know, right. the way you see dad treating them, that's the way that you want, you know, yeah. somebody to treat me when I come live with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For example, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I remember you telling me that your kids were your 401k. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I tell my dad that too. I'm like, look, yeah, but you have six kids, you know, like (laughs) you, you, you did good on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me what you're doing with work right now. Are you, are you in the same, you're not in the same role that you were for many, many years, which is doing policy. Well, I'm in, I'm in a role right now that I've been in for three years. Mm -hmm. So I do evaluation and compliance. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm in that weird place where I've worked for a nonprofit for a long time. I love what I do. I work with amazing people. I really love, and I'm also just trying to stay challenged and engaged. And I think, you know, it's hard when you work in the same place for a long time to Mm -hmm. not feel like, okay, I want to, I want a new challenge, but I'm really lucky to work with people who are so competent and so good at what they do and our agency keeps growing. So there's, there is always some new challenge and some new opportunity, but yeah, it's been a long time. I've been in the same place longer than I ever would have anticipated, Yeah, but I really love it and I'm lucky to be there. And so I also do lots of little like side things to keep me, you know, so I'm never bored. So (laughs) even if there's one area that's not challenging me uh, as much, there are others. And so uh, you know, I focus on my Hope for Senegal stuff and I've been writing for the American Genius for a while. I saw that. It's so stagnant lately. It's so hard to get the words out with everything going on. But are you still, so tell me what is the update on Hope for Senegal? And actually maybe well, just tell folks what Hope for Senegal is. Cause... Oh, okay. So about 10 years ago, almost nine years ago, when I went to Senegal, which is where my husband is from, and I saw you know, lots of need that was there. And my kids were with me and saw lots of need that was there. When we went to visit my husband's former high school, the students are literally sitting in the same desks that my husband was sitting in. Mm. And I really like my husband. I feel like he's a pretty smart guy. So I feel like, you know, there's a lot of potential in those kids sitting in his seat, you know, that they just need some opportunity. So I started doing programs that support the kids, and over the last few years, we have given out probably 400 scholarships or close to 400 scholarships for kids to attend high school, built a science lab, sent kids from West Africa to East Africa for some mentorship uh, on the continent, done sustainable teaching gardens, and supported projects that impact the blind, and lots of just little fun projects that people who are local uh, that are important to them, and we just Uh, figure out a way to make it happen. I love mentoring them with project management and making it happen. And then last week, last Saturday, actually, we gave away 64 scholarships. Wow. Three of them are for kids to attend high school because high school isn't free there. And even though it's not very much at all on our standards, it is a lot locally, especially if you have a lot of kids. You know, Mm -hmm. my husband comes from a family of 17 kids or 18 kids. So you know, when you have a lot of kids, it's hard to be able to afford for them to even finish high school. Right. And then for the first time ever, we gave away a scholarship to a girl who uh, was taken out of school in the first or second grade uh, because her mom had some instability and some issues. And so now she's uh, 14 and she doesn't have an education. She doesn't have much opportunity. She's 
kind of in a tough situation and it's too hard for her to go back to elementary school. So she is going to be starting trade school. Oh. And so it's giving her like an entirely different chance at a future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way that I fundraise is because this is just my side thing. It's so simple. I just post it on Facebook, right. <laughs> you know, and then um, people more than covered her tuition and gave her actually a comfortable little cushion to get everything that she needs to be able to complete her course. And so I'm super excited for that. I mean, wow. Learning a trade is like the difference between having a career or being stuck and just going place to place wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so, uh, like when we've talked about this before, I think the thing that is most meaningful to me about it is how very little can make a difference, like by our standards, right? We, we, I feel like we're so spoiled like we, we just we have so much we're if there is just so much available here which is not to say that we don't have challenges and there's right. not poverty and blah 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 but putting it in a in a global context like you can unleash so much potential with just so very little and what's so incredible is that there are people who are just ready like they're poised you give them one thing you give them an inch and they will grab it and run a mile, right? Like they're just so ready for opportunity and it's incredibly rewarding to do that. And the fact that you are able to, you know, I think a lot of us, whether we've encountered need here or traveled and seen it, a lot of us were impacted by it. I mean, you know, emotionally or, or whatever, like you see it and it's shocking and makes you think and, makes you evaluate things or whatever. But what I really appreciate about you is that you went there and you were like, well, and this is so you, right? This is Yasmin in a nutshell. (laughs) You go there, you see these like enormous problems and you're like, oh my my God, this is just terrible. And like most people would just stop there and you're like, well, what could I do? (laughs) What could I do here? Like I, I, I might not be able to fix everything, but I could do something. And then you pick a thing and then you just start doing it. And, and it makes such a difference, right? And I think that's where we get so, like, I feel like we get all overwhelmed by the enormity of the problems in the world. And if everybody just picked something and started doing it, and really, you don't even do it full time. This is just something you do part time, but it still makes such a difference in the lives of people. And you know, it's interesting because when we were there, it was like overwhelming in the beginning. And so that's why every night me and Yaza and my son would sit and process mm-hmm. like the things that you saw today, you know, and, um, you know, we also lived across the street from a dump at that time. <laughs> so we would also say like grossest thing I saw today, you know, <laughs> but, um, I'm sorry. My cat is obnoxious. <laughs> She's so demanding. Is it she Mimi? Open the door. It's Mimi. Yeah. Invite her on the podcast. This is a pro cat podcast. Here she is. Hello, Mimi. Do you have anything <laughs> to say? <laughs> She's like, and now I'm ready to go. Um, so something that uh, we did was we would talk about every day, like the things that we saw. And, you know, it's a lot for a kid. I mean, it's a lot for an adult, right? Mm-hmm. But it's even more for, you know, a little kid. So I didn't want to just leave him with all of that. So we would talk it through. And then when visiting my husband's school, I felt like, okay, we won't be able to do everything, but we can do something and something consistently. And I think that consistency was what I was looking for. Like I want to do something that is manageable enough 
where I'm doing it from my heart and not doing it out of obligation and I want to do it and it's not draining me, you know, it's filling me. And so we were really lucky to kind of find that connection that made it meaningful and made it something where it wasn't uh, overly bureaucratic. It was something Mm -hmm. that was just really giving us an opportunity to, to connect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of also a a unique perspective because most of the time, and I say this as somebody who's worked in nonprofits for a long time as well, it's really hard to get people on board with consistency. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really easy to get people to do like disaster relief or like a big, you know, holiday thing, but to get people to do sustaining giving or you know, either monetary or vol- volunteer work or any of that stuff is much more challenging. And I don't know can you talk to me about why you think that's important to you? The consistency? Yeah. Oh, because it's uh, like a religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing is one that you do consistently or the best, mm-hmm. I think it's the best charity is one that you do consistently. I was kind of in that frame of mind when I was looking for a place to put my energy because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to start something and then be one and done, right? Because it was like in the moment in front of me and that's why I wanted to do it consistent, you know, going to be something where I can consistently give, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, you are one of the few people I know who is somebody that I would define as religious, like (laughs) religious, but, and, and at the same time, also very progressively minded, right? Mm -hmm. So like your piety or your dedication to your tradition is incredibly deep. You're very dedicated to the tradition as the tradition, but you also happen to be able to cultivate a or or find ways to to make it relevant in modern life. And I think that's interesting. And I want to know where that came from. Yeah, I think it's it's two things. One is I had a really strong connection to God when I was younger. Like when I was around like 12, 13, I had like my religious connection begin. And it was definitely in the more traditional sense, right? Like I sought out a lot of uh, more traditional teachings and teachers and experiences. And I surrounded myself with friends who were, were similar. You know, I began practicing. I wore hijab when I, when I was 11 in Arizona where it's really hot. So I feel like you should get extra points for that. I mean, it was really something that was not common around me. It was at that time very uh, rare to find girls who wore hijab. And I feel like early on, I got that connection with God and I understood my purpose to live a life that's pleasing to God. And I feel like I got so lucky because I had a lot of challenges in my life. Mm -hmm. So not having the, you know, the easy life where religion seems philosophical, but it seems more like a way to make sense of the world around you and Mm -hmm. deal with hardship. Yep. Um, I think taught me a lot about the fact that we're on a journey, right? And that in one day you can be, you can see the world in one way and then it changes at, you know, an instant because God is teaching you in a different way, right? Or giving you a different challenge. And so I feel like the challenges help me to have more grace for myself and for others and understand that people are going through all kinds of things, right? and it's not black and white and help me to lean into those grays because originally I feel like I was very traditionally religious and that it was very black and white. Right. Yeah. I was very strict about, 
I wouldn't even talk to boys at night on the phone or I wouldn't, you know, uh-huh. like shake hands or, you know, I just feel like I was very stuck on the details instead of the essence. Yeah. But I feel like the more God gave me opportunity to learn with nuance, the more it helped me to be accepting of myself and others. And and I think that's what leads to being more open-minded is that you understand that people are going through their own journey and that there's nuance to everything greater than I can know from my limited experience. And so my judgment is better placed (laughs) elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, really a unique and beautiful character trait that I, regardless of whether we're talking about religion or whatever, this idea that as you progress in your practice or in your knowledge, you become more humble I think is really beautiful. I mean, that's the essence of maturity, right? Is as you get more, you realize <laughs> you that- you know more, you feel like you know less. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, and but I also feel like we live in, um, and maybe it's just, I don't know if it's like our day and age. I feel like we live in times when not knowing or not being dogmatic is actually considered weakness and not being certain is considered weakness. And so I really appreciate people who are able to own this sense of humility and say, this is right for me. This is, you know, this is my experience and, and then let other people have their own experience. I would like to see more of that. I would like to encourage that. I would like to encourage that myself, right? But definitely in communities that I belong to or in any environment where I'm leading, I, I want to be able to foster that. What do you feel like the average person in this country should know about Muslims? Oh, about Muslims? I feel like they should just know Muslims, right? Like uh-huh. um, know the diversity and that we are not a monolith despite what is seen on TV, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have a national spokesperson. We don't even have a, a person that everyone likes, you know, other than our prophet, peace be upon him, right. historically, but contemporarily, there is nobody that all would agree on or no one that represents an ideology that spreads across our vast yeah. community. So I think just knowing Muslims as people goes a long way. Yeah. And they say prejudice rarely survives experience. So just having that experience goes a long way. Excellent. I agree. I agree with that. Okay. <laughs> I want to ask you about where you want to go next. And I I don't necessarily mean with your career, but it could be with your career. But I guess one of the things that I value about our relationship and me knowing you is that we're kind of in the same age, right? We're, We're what, a couple of years apart. So we're both in our 40s. We both have kids that are older. We both have had some difficult times in our youth. <laughs> like we grew up with some pretty intense struggles that I think impacted who we are as people. Uh, we both are married to immigrants. So we have some similar situations here. And so I'd love to hear from you where you see yourself progressing because I'm being challenged right now exactly in what you were talking about earlier, where you, you're at a certain point life is good, right? Life is not bad, but also we are, you know, we have the potential to grow and evolve throughout our lives. And what does it look like to keep going from this point as, you know, and and maybe it's a little different for you because you still have Sophie and, you know, she's, she's going to be with you for a while. My kids are getting ready to leave. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have twins, so they're going to be gone. And so now I'm thinking, well, what, what does it look like to go on 
And how do you see yourself evolving as a woman into your 50s and 60s? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, one, that's like a woe question. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm waking up at three in the morning thinking about. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but that and that I need to get non-Teflon pants. <laughs> Okay, just a sidetrack. I just want to tell you, a large <laughs> box arrived at our door. My husband's what? like, did you order something? And I said, yes, I need to, before I tell you what it is, I need to explain to you my process. <laughs> I woke up to pray fudger. I was thinking about Teflon pans <laughs> and that it's really something that we should eliminate from our lives. <laughs> so, long story short, stainless steel walk is downstairs um but uh I think for myself so just a little background for people who don't know me is that I kind of am a high school dropout went back to school in 2004 so like 16 years ago and since then have been through a lot of schooling (laughs) and am still trying to work on my dissertation but I'm coming up against obstacle after obstacle but at least I'm ABD, got my proposal approved nice. and this week IRB approval. So I've always been, and during that time, I've always worked. I've always had kids. I mean, when I started, my 18 year old was just a baby, mm-hmm. you know, just a little one. So I have always worked and had kids and done community work and volunteered and, you know, done a million things at once that I felt like I had to, or that I, not that I felt like I had to from any external pressure because my pressure is 100% internal. Mm-hmm. Like I am the only person who has these expectations of myself. And so I am now at a little bit different place where I'm like, okay, I have all of my kids at home. And I don't know if this is COVID related or if this is just this age related, but I'm like, I am not going to over you know, I'm going to take this time and really appreciate what I have Mm -hmm. because I feel like this is a unique place in life, right? I have been very poor in my life. I have worked very hard. I have struggled. I have had horrible jobs, (laughs) you know, in my past. I have done all kinds of things and uh, been through a lot. And now I'm kind of at a place where I can just be grateful Mm. and focus on things related to just myself and not, uh, and, and actually even reprogram myself a little bit to take care of myself first. Yeah. yeah. Instead of putting myself as, you know, uh, as the priority for when everything else is done, whatever is left, I give to myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of changed that thinking. And I think younger generations have a better, uh, con- you know, a better handle on that than I do. And I feel like maybe a lot of people of my generation. Um, so I'm focusing a lot of time right now, not being ambitious (laughs) in some ways. I mean, I still work. I still am working on my dissertation. I still have my kids and my dad and my family and everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to be too ambitious. I'm just working working full time and doing a PhD. (laughs) But I'm not pushing myself as hard to like, you know, be at all. And I don't feel that pressure um, yeah. that I used to, you know, exert internally yeah. for myself the same way. I'm trying to just spend more time remembering to give to myself because mm-hmm. now I'm at that age where it's like catches up with you. Right. Uh-huh. Um, especially like physically and all of yep. those things. So I'm spending more time being, I do have a lot of things that I'm excited about for when my kids grow up, 
you know, I am looking at that next stage where you're a little bit ahead of me because, you know, I had that second and third kid, you know, (laughs) six years apart from each other. So I've got a good decade still before we're empty nesters or anything close to it. But yeah, right now I'm spending a lot of time just being and being grateful and appreciative. That said, I do have another project that I'm excited about, and it's a podcast. <laughs> what? Oh, no. Yes. What is it? It's with, uh, I don't know if you know, Samra, who's the only woman on the board of trustees for the Islamic Center of Greater Austin, which is the largest mosque, in, or I, I don't know, it's the oldest mosque in Austin, at least. And so we are going to do one that talks about some of the interesting things in the, the Austin Muslim community and hear from some of the incredibly dynamic Austin Muslim activists and people who are doing different things and entrepreneurs and all of the different things that, you know, I feel like we're, our community is big now uh-huh. and it's dynamic and I feel like there's so many great things going on. So it'll be just a chance to keep up with that and share that with everybody else who's like maybe new to Austin or maybe has been here for a while and, you know, wants to be able to keep up with all the change happening. That's That's awesome. That'll be my fun side project, (laughs) (laughs) but it'll be fun. So no pressure. Yeah. No, actually, you know what? I kind of had this little awakening because, you know, I take time off every once in a while where I shut down my my personal Facebook and my Twitter and I just kind of not worry about it because it takes a lot out of me to do it all day, every day. But what I realized is there's a real difference between like being on these accounts and maintaining a community and mm-hmm. using them in a creative way. And, you know, what you were talking about earlier about like doing things that fill you instead of drain you, creating things. And, you know, I think we sometimes think of being a creative person as like being an artist or a musician Mm -hmm. or whatever, but like digital creativity is also valid. And I really love it. I love making shit online. And so, yeah. And like podcasting, I don't know what it is about this medium, but I love doing it. I mean, I will never get rich doing, like nobody gets rich doing a podcast unless you're Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is so fun to me and I get really charged up doing it. And yeah. so like, I made a resolution to myself that when I do this stuff and it doesn't feel like work, I know that it's something I should be doing, that yeah. it's feeding me. I totally know what you mean. Like for me, I always frame it as producer or consumer. I I go on social media sometimes, like I post on social media, uh, you know, a fair amount and less now than I did before, but I feel like it's different going on social media and creating content than it is just being a consumer and like scrolling through and like being like, oh my God, her thighs are so much better than mine or whatever, you know, it's like (laughs) a totally different experience because people tell me all the time how they, you know, it's hard for them to be on social media. And for me, I'm like, I'm not, you know, if I'm looking at other people's stuff, I'm like, so excited for them or happy for them more than doom scrolling. But uh, I also feel like creating content is so fun, you know, like it's just part of who I am. And I see that a lot with Sophie, my six-year-old, because she has that same thing. Like, even though she doesn't share it online, she makes videos like every day, you know, she does. She has an iPad and she'll be like, Hey guys, today we're going to we're you know, like if I get an Amazon package, you know she makes an unboxing video for herself. She does? Every time. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that is amazing. You know, and it'll be like, you know, I ordered like black seed or something. Oh, can I do, can I do a video of you opening it? 
she loves it. She, it's just her like comfort, you know, like yeah. it makes her so happy. And I mean, she's little. So yeah. I feel like it is something that about who you are. And I feel like when I was a kid, I was always told that I talked too much mm-hmm. and um, I'm like, okay, I'm not making that mistake with my kids. So with Sophie, you know, somebody told her like her sister, right? <laughs> like talk, stop talking so much. I'm like, Sophie, that's your superpower. You know, like you using your voice is your superpower. Yeah. You know, don't feel shame for it. You know what? Like when I was a kid, I used to make radio shows by just recording myself on cassette tapes. <laughs> I used to, I used to, I used to write newsletters. Yeah. Yeah. For my, for my mom too. when I was like 10, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I remember like cutting, cutting and pasting onto a paper uh-huh. so that we could Xerox it. Yeah. Know? So that is awesome. And I can only imagine, can you imagine if we had had like all these tools when we were little, I would have been all over it. So go Sophie. Yes. She's going to get, I'll tell her, I'll remind her. Is she going to be, I'll let her start. I'll let her start. So she always says uh, in her videos, for some reason, she would always say, go to Sophie.com. You know, like she thought she had her own website (laughs) telling her that's not how it works. She's like, no, go to Sophie.com. I'm there, you know, and it is not her, Uh, (laughs) but we ended up buying SophieMalala.com for her so that at least she does. Oh my God. Are you going to put a website on there? I don't know. I mean, she's seven. You feel like, I don't know. I feel torn. We need to have a conversation about it. Yeah. That is a hard How to call. support her. Yeah. It's hard because I want to support her in doing her thing. And then, you know, for her, she wants to be famous. So, yeah. yeah. So like I put oh, her videos on, be. <laughs> on Facebook and then, you know, we'll go somewhere and somebody will be like, oh, I saw your video. And she'd be like, a fan. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I want to figure out a way to support her and her because I feel like she is unique in her like ability to talk about anything Mm -hmm. um, and ask good questions and stuff like that. But I haven't figured out how to support her other than just letting her take a million videos. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have to say Sophie is just an incredible kid because she is in 100% ownership of her identity. Like she knows who she is. She knows what she wants out of life. She is all like, it's just there. And I feel like as somebody who struggled for so long to try to figure out who I was as a person, I look at a little being like that and I'm like, hell yeah, kid, (laughs) you go on. And it's funny because uh, oftentimes I will have to apologize to Yazin. Like, Yazin, I was much younger when I had you. (laughs) Like, I am a different parent to her than I was to you. Like, there are a lot of things that I learned about myself along the way that have made me parent her differently than I parented you. So I just want to go ahead and apologize now for being so critical when you were little. Like, I I expected you to be a little adult instead Uh of you know, like a kid. And that wasn't you. That was me. Like, I am totally sorry about that. You know? uh, I mean, there's no use beating yourself up about that stuff. Not like, beating myself up, but I feel like there's a lot of value in telling him that directly, yeah. not for myself, but for him to be like, oh, like that wasn't about me. Cause I feel like a lot of times we internalize, mm-hmm. uh, if we get criticism and things like that, we internalize it about ourselves. And so I wanted to be like, eh, that wasn't you. <laughs> Like, See, having so cool. conversations with you is like reading a self-help book. 
<laughs> I <laughs> because feel I've read so many. <laughs> I feel I like love I... them. It is my genre, and I know people talk about them with cough and disdain, and like, oh, self-help. no. What do they ever help with? They changed my life. Like yeah. they literally reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. It means that we do family night every week. We read together. We do games together. It taught me that at family night, you don't bring the negative, you bring the fun, you play games, that my husband and I should have date night every week, that I should do one-on-ones with my kids, like really practical, specific, tangible things that like change the way that we work, you know? Yeah, yeah. And your kids are going to like grow up and go out into the world and have all these expectations of healthy relationships. (laughs) (laughs) And people are going to be like, are you kidding? I know it's so funny like I and I was like I you know uh one of my guilty pleasures is dressing my family and coordinating outfits yes you know I have found myself telling my children one day when you get married you know like I will also coordinate (laughs) not losing a son or daughter it's gaining someone else to coordinate Oh my God. But also, it's something like there are traditions that I feel like my kids will definitely carry on from. On the weekends, we talk about what we want to improve about our family and what we love about our family. Those kind of things, I hope they carry on, you know, that yeah. they're just little things, but it is like a way of um, managing your family where everybody has a voice, you know, yeah. where yep. my kids can be like, you know what, I don't like, you know, when we do this or when you do this, or I want to, I want our family to be more like this or whatever. That's great. It's awesome. Have you listened to Brene Brown's podcast? I haven't. She has one, you know. I've seen, I know, I've seen it like so many times in so many places. Yeah. Um, I haven't listened either. I haven't. And I, and I, I don't know what is stopping me. I feel like, you know, when you have high expectations, you know, like I am in love with Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) Yes, I I know. I Uh find her to be amazing. And I'm always afraid to watch Super Soul Sundays because sometimes I find her not at her best on that uh-huh. show because I feel like she um either real or for show seems to like buy into a lot of things that seem like crock you know <laughs> like uh-huh. or, like legit uh-huh. I get secondhand embarrassment because I love her so much that I don't want to see her in this unflattering light and so I can't listen to Super Soul Sundays so I feel like the same way for Brene Brown I feel like maybe it's because I love her so much mm-hmm. that I'm afraid to not love her anymore. <laughs> right. I understand this. I it's do. It's so wrong. It is so like, you know, like, I don't think that's wrong. Love her as she is. <laughs> <laughs> how I was offline technically for November. How was your election experience? Um, well, I was resigned to whatever is, is. Who won? Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> just kidding go ahead well okay so in 2016 you know my son and I went to the Driscoll Hotel the where the Democratic National or the Democratic Committee uh was having their celebration and uh watch party and so we had that nightmare of like when it turned like first everybody's like Woo! and then like things turned and we're like and so this year I was like you know what not playing it not (laughs) not going to be uh, involved in any type of big thing because I don't want to go through that heartbreak again and so I even went to sleep without knowing the results of course Mm -hmm. I mean several days but I mean I went to sleep at a reasonable hour 
and I was just resigned to like whatever it is it is and then I woke up to doom texts you know lots of people like <laughs> sent texts of like oh my gosh how's this happening da, da, da. and so to me it sounded like Trump won uh-huh. and so I was so concerned and then I like looked and I was very relieved to find out that that was not the case that there was still indecision what were the doom texts about that it was close you know, I guess that they were just like, how is this not that Biden has not won yet, you know? Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so they were misleading Doom texts. They were just Doom texts indicating the state of the world is not as they wish. <laughs> <laughs> From several people. It just made it seem like, you know. Yeah, yes. A lot of disappointment. So, I mean, it, it is so sad. It is so depressing that we're in a position where there's not a smooth transition mm-hmm. where I feel like he's going to TP the white house and like spray naughty words on the walls before he walks out, you know, or gets dragged out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But also I, I feel like on the left, we really have a hard time getting it together. Uh-huh. So I'm not very surprised. Like we are not big tent people. Like yep. we are not learning that, you know, our specific issue or our ideological purity is, the only way, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's interesting, but the left is not open-minded when it comes to that, right? We want it our way or no way. Yeah. I feel like the political right is a Boy Scout jamboree Uh and the political left is Burning Man. Yes. (laughs) It's just chaos. Chaos. Yes. (laughs) And people are just like clumped around in these little tribes, uh, you know, just like setting shit on fire and, you know, doing psychedelics. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like it's so interesting because I feel like one of the biggest problems people on the left face is that they're so in their bubbles. They don't understand. Like they're like, how, how, you know, how would somebody vote for Trump? If they vote for Trump, they must be this or this or this, not realizing that just as they might be one issue voters on the left, you know, right. where it's like, if they're racist, I'm not voting for him. Right. You know, right. On the right, it's, you know, it's the same thing where it's like, they can not be all of these things that you listed, but also not find them deal breakers because they have a bigger ideological you right. Know, right. Uh, identity with that person. Yeah. That drives me nuts when people say how, especially yeah. if the person is a, considers themselves an activist or a pundit right. or somebody it's like if you don't know your opponent's point of view like exactly. what are you doing how are you yeah. gonna how are you gonna make how? any difference or headway yes. if you don't even know why your opponent has that perspective you know? right right yeah I you know I'm totally on the same page as that and I also really resent it when people try to draw really hard lines in the sand that prevent me from going over and trying to figure that out yeah. As if just talking to somebody on the other side means I'm a defector. No, I'm trying to understand. Like, this is why you do it. And I think part of that is like having a marketing background, maybe. Like, mm. <laughs> like that's my job is to figure out yeah. what people are thinking so that yeah. you can tell them what they need to hear in the way they need to hear but it. They need to hear it. Exactly. Right. Because it's so easy for people on the left to be like, oh, they're, you know, because they look a certain way or they dress a certain way or they're, you know, whatever it is, box that they're putting them in to be like, oh, they would never hear us anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's not true. Like you can have a conversation, but people do tend to listen to people who they identify with in some way, you know? Right, right. 
yeah i think part of this uh the reason why we're in this position too is that we both were very conservative growing up uh republican hello yeah well we i wasn't religious or i wasn't political at all right like uh, my family was apolitical because we thought the end of the world was coming and you know jesus was our king so, so we didn't we didn't need to participate have to vote no vote necessary <laughs> no vote necessary yeah but uh but you know like uh otherwise in every other respect very conservative just uh, we considered all manner of sin and evil like we yeah. like every, anyone who made choices that were not completely aligned to a fundamentalist mm -hmm. biblical interpretation were going to die <laughs> Yeah. So there's just no use getting attached to them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, have it, but but because of that, I mean, I understand those perspectives a lot more, and I think yeah. it really just—it's incredibly frustrating to see the way public discourse has devolved into this the series of litmus tests that yeah. don't allow for nuance at all or growth. You know what growth. I mean? Yeah. Because someone had an opinion in 1971, you know, it's like oh they they are this you know it's like oh they're actually a person who can grow and change and evolve and when we have better information we make better decisions and you know yeah yeah just like oh. me as a parent <laughs> politicians, <laughs> politicians can change too yes yes or the people that are like uh if you voted for trump then just unfriend me right like that kind of thing like please do not unfriend me yeah. Like, I want you to continue to listen to me. You're welcome to stick around as long. I'm not going to change my views. I'm yeah. going to change my opinions. But you are absolutely welcome to stick around and listen to me as yeah. long as you need to to get the point. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of it comes out of frustration from people not able to, uh, people who don't do things. Like, it is very different to be engaged and be working on things and in relationship and conversation with people who have different views and, uh, you know, and feel like, okay, the world is happening, but I am doing my part. I am mm -hmm. doing my thing. I am doing a thing and moving forward in that way. Then to feel like the world is falling apart and there is nothing I can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because none of us can do everything, but right. each of us have people in front of us, people in our lives, people in, in, in our communities and in the world that can benefit from our existing on this planet in some way. And so figuring out how we do what we, what we can goes a long way in helping us feel like we are part of the solution instead of part of the problem, making us feel like there are things happening. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of my pet peeves is when people say, nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about whatever the topic. And it's like, that just tells me that you're not paying attention mm -hmm. to the people who are doing the work. There are people working on all kinds of things. You know, mm -hmm. I saw a post the other day. This is just an extreme example of like, nobody's talking. Like nobody's doing anything about the homelessness problem in Austin. You know what I mean? What? I'm who like, would say that? <laughs> I'm not naming names. I'm saying it's just an extreme example. But I saw that and I was just like, wow. <laughs> like in my bubble, everybody is doing something about that. Like everybody is trying something like there are organizations, there are people, there are efforts, there are policies, there are all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's just an example of like when people aren't involved and doing something and proactively participating in what they see as the solution, then it can feel overwhelming and feel like a vast, you know, future of no improvement. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah i get that i get that all right well yasmin this has been a delightful conversation uh i hope you will come back and do another one because i think i could probably talk to you for like six more hours um i don't think my cats would let me sit in here for six more hours yeah i want i want our listeners to note that yasmin and i are both in our closets having this conversation yes (laughs) like we're teenagers on the phone (laughs) oh my gosh good times i love this all right any parting words anything that you feel the world should know all six of my listeners (laughs) you have six wow yeah um that's more than I have. Um, well, I just want to thank you for inviting me. I appreciate being included in your list of non-famous guests and yes. that I also do and love talking to you and would love to come back another time. And cool. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Anytime. All right. Take care. Be safe. Have fun. And, right. and as soon as you launch your podcast, let me know so I can share it out. I will. Cool. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves.